Okay. Morning, everybody. Thank you, Mr. Paul. Yeah. And Christopher and crew. Thank you, guys. Uh, so, if you're if you're new, uh, you may be thinking, "Boy, this church does sure does have a strange." Uh, percentage of male to female, and also there sure are a lot of kids for not having a lot of women around here. Uh, that is because 52 of our finest are on our women's retreat uh, this year, and this is the first time in the history of our congregation that we have done something where uh, they've gone away, and it's been amazing. So I'll, just, I'll bring a report back from the field. I Actually, my family and I, or the rest of my family, aside from my wife, and I were in Chattanooga, which is where they are yesterday. Uh, we were not spying on them, I promise. Uh, it just so happened that it was my mom's birthday, and we were meeting there to spend uh, the day with her for her birthday. And I saw, during that time, we went hiking, and I saw a group of them while we were hiking. And then there's an ice cream place called Clumpy's, which is amazing. Uh, and we saw another group of them while we were at Clumpy's. So they're doing great. In fact, they look so happy and refreshed, they may never come back. Uh, we'll see, but hopefully I believe they're starting to even trickle back right now, but that's, uh, that's where about a quarter of our population as a church family is today. Um, so very thankful for all the leaders, uh, who made that possible and all of you who have also given of, uh, of your time and your weekends potentially to serve kids and others so that those women can be, can be away. So uh, let's see, a couple of announcements before we get started. One, again, welcome visitors. Um, very thankful that the Lord has put us in this spot and it made us very visible in this community so that we can um, be a light and, and a welcome receptor of so many uh, of other folks from our community. So welcome. And if this is uh, a place where you would like to just find out what could be some next steps of ways I could get involved, there's a QR code on the back of every chair. You can scan that with your camera app and it will bring you to a list of all of our uh, ways, small group connections, other events we have going on, and, uh, and these weekly announcements as well. Secondly, there, uh, obviously, we have many kids among us. Uh, the majority of our classrooms back there, aside from the K's, twos, and threes are, or the super nurseries and twos and threes are canceled uh, because of the whims retreat. So we've got a lot of kids in the service this morning. You're welcome here. Uh, we're excited that you're here. Feel free to squirm. Feel free to get up and move around, of course, with your parents' permission. Uh, and there are also lollipops and other things at the back that can keep your hands and your mouth busy uh, for the next 30 minutes or so. Okay. Uh, let's see. Small groups have started, and it's not too late to sign up. Again, you can hit the QR code if that's something that you're interested in doing. We're only a couple weeks into that. And, uh, and then you can pick up. Last week, we introduced our next prayer card. We're praying for the International Persecuted Church. And uh, for the next two months, we're praying for North Korea. So that prayer card is back in the back next to the coffee. And please pick that up and pray uh, for our brothers and sisters around the world enduring much hardship. Did I hit it all? I think I did. Okay, then uh, let's do this. Let's jump right in to this book. What we are about to jump into is a genealogy, which may sound like the most boring way to start uh, any new series. You want to start it with some kind of funny story or some kind of amazing thing that happened, and we're just going to start it by reading a lot of names that are hard to produce. I mean, hard to, um, hard to pronounce. So... Um, 
let's start there, and then we'll jump into the rest that we have. So, Donna Garrett, would you please step on up and read for us? Donna Garrett, everybody. Matthew 1, 1 through 17. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. And Ram is a father of Amadab, and Amadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife Uriah, by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jacoam, the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father, excuse me, my eye went back to the next line. And Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jacoam, and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jacoam was the father of Shatil, and Shatil the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abadu, and Abadu the father of Elakim, and Elakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Elihu, and Elihu the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Yeah! <laughs> Read it like you know it. <laughs> so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah, Donna Garrett. All right, who's excited? Uh, yeah, let's figure out what to do with that. So uh, there are many ways that this could have began. So there are four gospel accounts of the life of Jesus. Each one of those gospel accounts has sort of the, the one main theme, of course, is the life and the person and the work of Jesus. But each one of these has a unique angle by which it is going at it. So just like any biography is going to have a unique set of circumstances that it will include and other things that it will not include in the particular way that it tells the story of this Jesus. And so we have a unique telling of the story of the person and work of Jesus. And there is a particular way that it's meant uh, to speak. There's a unique theme that it's meant to connect with. Why would we start with a bunch of names that are hard to pronounce? Why would that be the way that Matthew begins his genealogy, or Matthew begins his gospel? Well, 
Matthew is coming from a Jewish background, and in the Jewish culture and in many historical cultures, your lineage, where you come from, means a lot about who you are. Particularly, the line of kings is especially important to make sure you know whose son is whose and how that lineage gets passed from generation to generation to generation. The previous series that we did last semester was on the book of Revelation. And if you remember at the end of the book of, uh, at the end of every series, uh, every sermon in that book, we said this as the benediction. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of the Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And we continued to speak that reality because that's the point of the book of Revelation, is this is the future reality, that there is a king over all creation who created this world, who then came back into this world, who died for this world, who rose again for this world, and is now redeeming and in the process of redeeming his creation until he comes again. Joy to the world. And if that's the true story of reality that we live in, then the book of Revelation and truly every other book in the Old and the New Testament is pointing towards that reality and trying to get as many of us as possible to wake up that this is the reality that we live in. Now, how many of your days do you wake up and say, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of the Lord and of his Christ? Probably not many because we wake up every morning like this isn't true. We wake up every morning that at best, we're the king of our own lives. And at worst, someone else who is a way worse king than we would is in charge of our lives. And most of those things lead us to places of anxiety and fear and worry and not hope and joy and peace. So in comes Matthew with this genealogy to say, there is a true king. Like Revelation has said, that kingdom is already set up and is invading ours little by little until he comes again. Now we're coming at it from the other direction to prove to our hearts again, yes, this king really is the king of kings. This king really is the Lord of lords, the one who created and through whom all things are held together. That's the Jesus that we're talking about. But that's the Jesus who, though he was God, became humble and found himself in a human family. And not a very squeaky clean human family, but in fact, a pretty broken one. So the goal of this series and the goal of this semester is to walk along with Jesus, to get to know this king who does not dwell with us physically anymore, but by his spirit dwells in us and through us to one another. So our goal as we read line by line and verse by verse through the book of Matthew is to get to know who is this Jesus? Is he worth my allegiance? Is he worth my following? Will he change my life? And how does he even change me as I follow him? And so Matthew is written as kind of a discipleship manual, a follower's guide to King Jesus. How do we live our life more and more in line with that reality that Jesus is on the throne? And not only how do we do that, but the bookends are also very helpful to tell us what the whole middle is saying 
So if the beginning is the genealogy that Jesus is king, what's the very last thing in the book of Matthew? Go, therefore, and make more disciples. Make more followers. Tell more people, as many as you can find, that there is a king who is already on his throne, and we have life as we follow him. So that's what we're doing. We're being discipled by Jesus, and we're being equipped more and more to disciple others along his way. So uh, Matthew's broken down into six sections, and so we're going to be uh, sort of walking through these six sections together. We're in the first section, the origin of the king, in chapters 1 through 3. The way of the king is chapters 4 through 7. Following the king, 8 through 10. Responses to the king, 11 through 13. Expectations of the king, 14 through 20. And then finally, the triumph of the king. So today, we're beginning with the origin story of this king in his lineage. Um, if you've done any genealogy studies yourself, anybody done like the 23andMe's and those kind of things? It's fascinating, uh, fascinating to learn some of those things. In every family tree, there's the good and the bad and the ugly. And the same is true in Jesus' family tree here. He's got the good, like there are some amazing names, Abraham, David, uh, some incredible men and women of the faith. He has this royal pedigree. But there's also the bad. Jesus has a racy past. He has some members of his family tree that you may look at and go, really? That's the line of Jesus? Like that's the perfect son of God and son of man? That's where he came from? And finally, what we find to be true is there is an ugly truth inside of these pages. And that is that Jesus has a redemptive plan, but one that will be at the cost of his own life. So his royal pedigree, his racy past, and his redemptive plan, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, so have you, has anybody seen the show Finding Your Roots on PBS? It's so helpful. Uh, it's, our family loves it right now. And so here's the idea. Every, every episode, they grab two different people, and this... Uh, they, the team behind the Ancestry.com people f helps them to find their family lineage. And they kind of swap back and forth during the episode between those two people. So through DNA testing and database searches, they trace people's family lineage, these var various famous people's history. Um, and so they've made some amazing discoveries. And what's really fun to watch is they start sitting across the table from each other. Henry Louis Gates, who's the host, sits across the table, and there's a big, giant book. And he says, turn to the next page. And he starts with the people closest, like your dad, your mom, your grandparents. And he begins to unfold people's family histories. And when they turn the page and start reading some of the things that they are connected with, some of the people, some of the great men and women of history that they are connected with, like, uh, for instance, Glenn Close, you know, the 101 Dalmatians lady, and some other things. Um, she is, I forget, like fifth cousins or something with Princess Diana. She had actually had a meeting with her where they spent a little bit of time together in the 80s. And all of a sudden, she starts to identify with Princess Diana and go, oh, yeah, I can see that. Oh, I feel so honored that I'm a part of her lineage. People feel more important when they have roots 
to important people. And as they turn those pages and see those kinds of names and faces, they light up. And it changes their self-conception. It changes their identity and the way they think about their history and their purpose and their meaning for being. So when we look at Jesus' lineage, there are some famous, important, historical, helpful, amazing people that are a part of his story. Just to start with the very beginning, we don't have time to do all of them, but just look at the first two. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He selects those two to begin with because those are kind of the two main patriarchs that he wants to say, this is, you need to know this. If you miss everything else, you need to know David and you need to know Abraham. Abraham is a descendant of the blessed line of Noah going all the way back to Adam, uh, the first man, and through whom God came to in Genesis 12 very early on in this story and says, I want you to leave where you are and I want you to go and I will bring you to a land and it will be flowing with milk and honey and it is a place where I'm going to grow in you a great nation and through that nation all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. The beginning and the seeds of the kingdom of Israel are born and through Israel All nations are meant to be blessed through this man, Abraham. And he says, I'm going to give you an offspring. And that offspring is going to bless all nations. Paul, in Galatians 3, points to that phrase and says, and I want you to notice this. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. So Paul is saying all the way back in Genesis 12, the story of Jesus is already being written. The lineage of Jesus is already being woven together by this amazing, wonder-working, God-ordaining sense of significance. So Abraham, from the line of Abraham, a th- a few, a through, more, through a few more generations, that's hard to say, we then find David. So King David who was the unlikely shepherd king, who there was the fancy, you know, super strong, good-looking, amazing king, Saul right before him. God was like, that's not the guy. I want to pick the most unlikely king and raise him to power. This is the king who God said, this is a man after my own heart. I love King David. In 2 Samuel 7, God promises your throne will be established forever. And he tells this, to David. So the kingly line, as we're watching from Abraham, a family is built up. Now those kings begin to be built up, and from the line of David, a new king will come. So this is one of those places just to stand back and sort of stand in awe for a minute and go, there are 66 books in the Old and New Testament. Those are written by 40 different authors over the span of 1,500 years. And these genealogies, as you cross-reference them, you see their validity. All of the history of humankind has been pointing in the direction of Jesus, has been pointing in the direction of this Messiah King. And he's also orchestrating our lives with that same kind of intention. So that's the good. How about the bad? Jesus' racy past. Um, The other side that can happen in the Finding Your Roots show is when they turn the page and they see something that they would rather not be a part of their history. 
So for instance, Ben Affleck turns the page, and this is before the taping of the show, and he goes to the producers of the show and says, you can't air this. Please, will you not put this portion of my family history on national television? Because what he had found is that in his history, in his lineage, was a history of slave owners. And he saw that as, this is so shameful, I don't want to be associated with it. Even though it was his great, great, great grandparents, yet still he's saying, I don't want to be associated with anything like that. And you can see in in, uh, person after person sort of the life just go out of them as they see, oh, that's who I'm related to? That's where I came from? That's my history? Ugh. And all the way through, what you see in this genealogy is, in many cases, a lineage of brokenness. Just to select one. Verse 6, David was the father of King Solomon. I'm sorry, David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. So what you're saying is King David fathered a son through whom God's line was still blessed, through whom God still worked, but that was from the wife of another man. That was an illegitimate son, an illegitimate child. That's Jesus' history. That's his lineage. That's who God chose to work through. Gross. Yuck. I can't believe that that would be part of Jesus' history. Not only that, David then goes on to have the guy killed to cover it up. Like this is Dateline 2020 ABC on Friday night kind of stuff. But this is Jerry Springer, which that's, that'll go way over many of your heads. Um, Jacob was a liar. Solomon was a womanizer. Ruth was a, a Moabite, which is an enemy to the kingdom of Israel. Almost every king from Rehoboam, which is kind of right there in the middle, all the way through to the rest of them are just complete trash. On and on and on. Brokenness after brokenness. Family history after family, family history that you would rather not be associated with Yet Jesus was associated with the least and the lost and the broken and the unlovable. That has a point. Because Jesus is saying, I am associated, I am well acquainted with brokenness. In fact, my own history has been woven in beauty through the midst of that brokenness. And so this can give us hope for all the places when we look back at our family history, when we look at a generation or two back, uh, when we think about maybe the ways that our our parents or our grandparents or others, uh, aunts and uncles and cousins, that there's places of brokenness in our lives, that there's places of shame uh, and suffering and loss that we would rather were not a part of our story but affect us very deeply. Pete Scazzaro, uh, who wrote the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, says that Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa's in your bones. That's, that's true. Your family history and heritage impacts you right now. It impacts the way that you think about yourself. It impacts the way that you respond naturally. It impacts even some of the way that your DNA and some of these things flow out of you. 
And yet Jesus is saying, I worked beauty in this kind of brokenness through adultery and infidelity and murder and cheats and liars and stealers and the rest. And he's saying, and I can work the same kind of beauty in your brokenness. Both that has been done to you and things that you have maybe even brought into your family system that you look back and and say, I wish that was totally erased and not a part of what I had to bear in the day in and day out. So through divorce and affair and addiction and job loss and failure and financial mismanagement and illness and death, Jesus is the redeemer of all things. And he proves that through this genealogy and he proves that in our lives continually. So the good, the bad, and finally the ugly, Jesus' redemptive plan. Okay, this is when, uh, kids, I need some participation. Okay, listen up real quick. So Frozen 2, raise your hand. Raise your hand, Frozen 2, you seen it? Yes? Okay. All right, good. <laughs> yeah, raise your hands. Adults, seen Frozen 2? Great. Okay. Uh, it is, uh, it's different than Frozen 1, but I would, I would say that it is almost as good. There are some great songs. The characters are still great. The storyline is a little bit deeper. But the premise of the whole movie is that there is a family secret that threatens to undo the kingdom. And Queen Elsa has to go back and dig into her family lineage, into her history to see the brokenness that lies there so that she can heal it. And so Elsa, kids, this is when I want you with me. Elsa hears a sound. Do you know what the sound is? What? What is it? <laughs> yeah! Yeah, there you go. Uh, right? She hears there's something calling her back to investigate this brokenness in her history. And so, long story short, she goes back, and what she finds is that her granddad was a murderer of an entire group of people. That he attempted to starve a neighboring community by building this dam and then tricked them into thinking that this was a peace offering when, in fact, it was a way to control another group of people. The reason that Arendelle, her kingdom, this beautiful place existed is because it existed on the backs of this people and this broken place of her family history. And so she begins to know, okay, I know what I have to do. I have to go back and break the dam. I have to go back and undo that brokenness and potentially at great cost because the river that flowed behind that dam could very well have flooded the entire kingdom. There's an ugly truth in this lineage because when Jesus stands on this side and he looks backwards at all of those who have come before him, he sees all of the generational sin and grossness and brokenness and looks back at it and says, somebody has to do something about this. And every one of us may do that in a variety of ways. We'll look back to our past and say, somebody has to fix this. Somebody has to do something about this. But the more that we dig, the more that we might find that we can't fix some of those things that may be so ingrained even in our souls and in our psyches. But the Lord Jesus comes in to that place and opens the floodgates of God's wrath and takes and absorbs every bit of that brokenness on himself, on his shoulders. Isaiah 52 and 53 says he was pierced for our transgressions. That's the ugly truth of the gospel. Somebody has to be punished. Somebody has to be pierced 
for the brokenness of our past. Evil has to be done away with. But the only way evil can be done away with is by its eradication. And if God were to eradicate all the evil in the world, then he would also eradicate the evil that I have brought into the world and the evil that my family has brought into the world and into my family system. And so Jesus says, there's only one other way for that evil to go somewhere else other than on my people. I will take it on myself. I will take the flood on myself instead of my people. And all who now stand huddled behind him are saved. And it's not only for those in the past who were sort of waiting for this Messiah. It is now all who look in the future, looking back to this moment in history and say, I need this same kind of saving. My history, my lineage, my family, my life is as broken as this. And I need someone else from the outside to come inside and save me from the inside out. But that's not all. Our king as it were, could have just sort of washed his hands and said, okay, well, you're clean. Now go about your business. I took care of God's wrath. You're free. Now go do what you want to do. But he goes even one step further than that. Galatians 3 that I had mentioned earlier, where Paul's kind of in this stream of thinking, he says, if you're Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring according to promise. He goes on in Galatians 4 to say, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, that's everything we just read, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive what? Adoption as sons. Do you realize that in Christ, you are a part of this family tree? that your great, 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 great grandfather is the Lord Jesus. That by faith you have been grafted in to this great family history, to this great redemption that has been, this plan that has been enacted all the way before the foundation of the world and continues to this day and through this day. His blood runs through our veins. His DNA is being coded into ours as the Spirit, little by little, moment by moment, changes us to be more like this Jesus. And because of that, we have all rights and privileges of sons and daughters of the King. We're not just tolerated, we're loved. His affections are set over us. There's not a hair on your head that does not move unless the Lord knows about it and unless he is active in it. Whatever brokenness might be happening in your life right now, whatever brokenness might be happening inside of you right now, whatever you might see as having been enacted on you from your family history, every bit of that, moment by moment, little by little, Jesus, through the Spirit's power, can and will work to redeem. And so this begins to shape our identity. It it shapes how we think about ourselves. Oh, that's true of me? I turn the page and I see Jesus? He's in my history? He's in my family? I'm related to him? Wow. Then maybe I'll hold my head a little higher when I wake up tomorrow morning 
Knowing that as much as God cares about his son, the Lord Jesus, he also cares about me in the same way. As much as he sings and delights over his son, the Lord Jesus, so he sings and delights over me. As involved as he is in his son, the Lord Jesus' life, so he is involved in mine. So as we come to the table, um, going back to the era of King David... King David had a predecessor, and that was King Saul, who we mentioned earlier. King Saul had a son, and his son's name was Jonathan. And David and Jonathan were thicker than thieves. They were best friends. Uh, They enjoyed and loved each other. And they, as Jonathan was dying, he turns to his friend David and says, Will you take care of my son? I have a son who's, been, who's lame. Uh, he was dropped when he was a child. Now he can't walk. He can't take care of himself. He kind of is a, a little bit of a recluse. He smells. He's kind of to himself. He doesn't like to be around people. He's not very good with his social skills or his manners. Will you please take care of him? And David says, of course I will. And so he goes and sends an edict after Jonathan dies, and he goes back to his kingdom, he goes back and sends an edict, find this man, find this man Mephibosheth. And wherever he is, whatever his condition, bring him to me. And Mephibosheth is brought to King David and King David looks at him and says, welcome. My kingdom is your kingdom. My land is your land. My table is your table. You don't have to clean yourself up for it. You don't have to bring anything to it. I'm giving every bit of this to you just because I love you and because I love your dad. And in the same way, God the Father looks at God the Son and says, because you have paid the price for these, my people, everything, every blessing that I give you, I now give to them. My mercy, I give to them. My deep affection, I give to them. My sovereign hand, I give to them. And so when we come to this table, we are coming, bringing all of our mess with us. We are bringing our reclusiveness. We are bringing our shame. We are bringing all the things about our family history and even about ourselves that we would rather not anybody know about. And we can bring those to the Lord Jesus this morning and be loved and seen and redeemed bit by bit by his spirit's power because we're forgetful. And so when we come to his table, we are reminded that his body was broken for us and that his blood was shed and poured out for the sins of many. And he says, this is a new covenant I give you, meaning I am promising that this will never change. My love for you will never change. And so for all who this morning have stood behind Jesus as the flood of God's wrath has come towards him and said, I need someone other than myself to stand between me and God because both all of the sin and shame in my past and all the things I'm even currently bringing to him right now, there is nothing in his holiness that should welcome a man like me. And we bring our need to him and we bring our mess to him and we kneel before him and he receives the broken and the least and the lost. This is the king who's come for us. This is the one who we can begin to follow, not to work our way into his good graces, but because he has already worked his good graces on us. And so this king, the night before he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, 
This is my body broken for you as often as you do this. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. So the way that we're going to take communion today is um, when you're ready, you can come down the, any of the middle aisles here, kneel uh, at the kneelers. You can hold out your hands when you're ready to receive both the cup and the bread. If you need a gluten-free option, I believe that's over here. Yep, in the gold bowl. Uh, and so you can point to that. If you need prayer, you can cross your arms, uh, and one of our leaders back here will pray for you. If you need a, a space to sit a little bit longer with the Lord and maybe to process with someone or have someone pray over you and anything uniquely that's going on for you, uh, the prayer corner in the back is always an option and is open uh, right now with a couple of our leaders back there who'd love to pray over you. Uh, so let me pray to set aside this meal and then we'll eat together. So Father, thank you that this is your grace for us. Thank you that this, is, uh, that this feels so far away and untrue. And yet, this is our story. That we are so impacted by many things that our foreparents before us have done, both positively and negatively. But even more than what anyone else has done to us, uh, we have been influenced now and are influenced by our big brother Jesus, who loves us and dies for us and brings us into his father's family. So, Father, I pray uh, that you would welcome your people at your table, that we, like Mephibosheth, would come with nothing, uh, and that you would look at our nothing and say, welcome, all I have is yours. All my affection, all my resources, all my power is yours. And would we receive that power from on high through this body and through this blood, through this bread and through this cup, that has been broken and poured out for the sins of many. So for all who by faith uh, have received you this morning, we pray that you would pour out your grace. And for any uh, who you would even call to yourself this morning, Father, we pray that you would be so kind to do that and you would bring many running to this table for mercy. And we pray this in your name.